Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. When it comes to the promise of restoration, God puts a promise out there for everybody. Number one, the promise involves spiritual healing. That's first and foremost our problem. He says, I will heal their apostasy. And apostasy is basically a departure from God. It's departing from the things of the Lord. It's departing from his word. It's disobedience to God. Anybody ever been there before? I'm not talking about the unbelieving apostates in the New Testament. I am talking about the backslidden Christian, the backslidden person of God who has departed from his ways. The good news is God says, I will heal their apostasy. Now, no, that's a promise. He didn't say I healed their apostasy. He says, I will heal their apostasy apostasy and I think it's significant when you see the I wills from God in the Bible that you take those I wills and you take ownership of them because our entire walk is by faith with God and so you take those promises of scripture and you take ownership of them and God always leaves that chasm for faith the invisible bridge that you have to walk across that you can't see we can see so much But the ones that God really heals and the ones that God really uses are those who are willing to walk across that invisible bridge called faith. So when we see those I wills, it takes God. God says, I will, I will, I will. Now, this is important because it takes God to heal it. It's like what Jesus told the religious leaders in John chapter 12. Listen to what he says. He quotes Isaiah actually in verses 37 to 40 of John 12. He quotes the prophet Isaiah out of Isaiah 6. He says, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Now think about the signs that Jesus did, like heal a leper. That was unheard of. Even though that they had an order and there was a protocol that if you got healed as a leper, you go to the priest, you show yourself they were the health inspectors of the day, they would declare you clean, and then you can go back into society. The problem was nobody was getting healed of lepers. Jesus comes along and he does the impossible and starts healing lepers. And he's doing all these signs, but they still did not believe in him. I got news for you. If you're witnessing to somebody and they tell you, man, if God does a miracle, I'll believe. No, they won't. Takes an act of God to remove those blinders, the Holy Spirit. They can see the parting of the Red Sea. They can see water from the rock. They can walk out their house one day and hear a voice and turn, whoa, there's a burning bush. God's voice going through. Signs and miracles. They confirm God's word, but people don't get saved by it. They get saved through the work of the Holy Spirit, always been. 
So, so here they are, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. I'm telling you, unless the Lord intervenes, ain't nobody getting saved. And I don't know how that dynamic fully works with, you know, believing and blinders falling off and everything else. I know there were times I wanted to believe. There were more like 911 calls. Man, I'm in the middle of the day and, you know, you're going through withdrawals already. Your snot starts to run down your nose. And you know, if you don't get dope by the next morning, you're going to be sicker than a dog. And you're like, man, God, help me. But I never believed. There was something in my heart that just wasn't there. And God could have showed himself at that time by a burning bush, a parting of the Pacific Ocean or whatever. My heart just wasn't there. It took an act of God to reveal that to me and to open up my eyes. That's why it takes the pressure off evangelism. You're witnessing to somebody, it ain't your fault. The word of God is the word of God. You got to pray for them. Lord, Open up those blind eyes. It says in Corinthians that the God of this age has blinded their hearts. Only God can do that. It also involves unconditional love. Look at, I love this. I will heal their apostasy, but it doesn't stop there. I will love them freely. For my anger is turned from them. I don't know if many of you understand this theological word Paul uses it in Romans 3 it's also used in 1 John 4 but the theological word is propitiation propitiation is another term involved in our salvation but propitiation has to do with turning the anger away so when Jesus hung on the cross and received the wrath of God for our sin that anger was turned away God's no longer angry with you I will love them freely that has two implications. One, it is by grace, and therefore they can earn it, as we said earlier. And two, his freedom to give love will no longer be hindered by their sin because he will remove every offense from them, every sin from them. In the opening chapters, God calls the prophet Hosea to marry a prostitute. You guys remember, it's first three chapters of Hosea that we covered. And, you know, Hosea is called to marry a prostitute. Here's a man of God, and God was going to use that as an illustration. And what we find in Hosea's response to Gomer, the prostitute, is that Hosea loves her no matter how sinful she became. In fact, it came to the point where he had to buy her off the auction block. She didn't just transgress their marital vows and sleep with guys out there and sell her body somehow she ended up indebted and she ends up on a, an auction block and Hosea buys her back and you talk about unconditional love but in that second chapter that second chapter of Hosea it says this in verse 16 God making a promise, and in that day declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. 
In other words, serving the other gods, putting Baal in place of God. And then in verses 19 to 20 of that second chapter, listen to this. And I will betroth you to me forever. That's a promise. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. When Hosea here in chapter 14, when God says, I will love them freely, he absolutely loves us freely. That's why I'm like, man, how do you even comprehend the love of God? And thank God for Hosea, not for all the judgment chapters, that wakens us up. But it brings us into a little bit of a position to get a glimpse of God's love through the book of Hosea. And this is how he's closing. After all those chapters on judgment, he's now closing with this kind of stuff. Why? Because there's always hope with God. Amen? There's always hope. When you know the Lord, man, I don't care what tomorrow looks like. I've got a God in heaven who's in control of all things. So God's promises always stand. They always stand. Today is Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, Shavuot, and, you know, the Hebrew festival, and we don't have time to get into all that, but it was the day the church was born. And all I'm going to say is this, that Jesus made a promise. He said that upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. And we look at 2,000 years of church history and everything and everybody under the sun coming against that church, those 12 disciples, the tax collector, the zealot, the fishermen, these are the guys that are taking on it. And Jesus says, the gates of hell shall not prevail. And here we are celebrating today the birth of that church. Why? Because the promises of God stand. No man, no country, I don't care how powerful they are, people are into aliens, there's no Martians out there. Even if there are, God's bigger than that, and he created them for some purpose. <laughs> Maybe to abduct you. <laughs> no, we know what the real deal is, right? When the rapture of the church hits and we're taken up, they're going to say aliens abducted those guys at Christ Community Church. <laughs> Well, we're special. <laughs> we got abducted and you didn't. <laughs> right? See, everything's setting up into a narrative. God knows what he's doing. But his church is going to stand. His church is going to stand. Look at the picture of restoration. I want to get into this. I know there's a lot of lines there. So I won't expound fully on every line. Hosea, again, he's using pictures. He's using words to describe what this restoration looks like. Let me say this to you. When we talk about the restoration, I want you to put your own name in there. Because what God does on a national level, he does on a personal level. What God's doing with Israel, he's done with you. Amen? All right, so restoration, verses 5 to 8. The first one I want to talk about is restoration of God's blessings. We see that in verse 5 where he says, I will be like the dew to Israel. I will be like the dew to Israel. Dew is a sign of God's favor and blessings in Israel. I don't know if you know that, but in Haggai chapter 1, when judgment is called, in verse 10, the dew is removed. Israel actually has to have dew in order to survive in agriculture. All right? 
Do is gentle, unlike a downpour, which can become a flood. And the agriculture in Israel, if you know anything about the landscaping, you'll know that the dew is necessary, the evening dew there. It's most needed in the summer, and when it's withheld, it's not a sign of God's favor or blessings. It's actually a sign of his judgment, but he says, I'm going to be like the dew to you. What God is going to do is restore blessing and favor to the people of Israel. Notice all the judgment that came. As much as Hosea used word pictures to describe how severe that judgment's going to be, he uses word pictures to describe the divine blessings that's going to flow now that God's going to restore them, heal their apostasy, and love them freely. So the second one is restoration of beauty. I want you to see this. He shall blossom like the lily. Israel was a wasteland for many years. The lily was a, a symbol of beauty. It's a symbol when the lily blossoms. That was another way of saying that's beautiful. And if you look at Israel, in fact, Mark Twain went there towards the end of the 1800s, and many of you know him as a famous author. He wrote a book called Innocence Abroad. He went over to Israel, and he traveled to Israel, and you know what he said about Israel? He said, who in the world would want this wasteland? And you can see pictures of nothing but a desolate land back then. But God says he's going to restore the beauty of Israel. And if you go over there today, we've got another trip going over in 2023. Throw a little plug out there. If you've never been to Israel and you want to go, it's going to be in October of 2023, Lord willing. And you'll see this wasteland had become like a garden, as Ezekiel said. So there's going to be this restoration of beauty. There's going to be a restoration of strength. If you look, he says, he shall take root, the end of verse 5, like the trees of Lebanon. Those were known as the strongest trees the trees of Lebanon, the cedars of Lebanon in the scriptures. And what, what God is saying is, I'm not only going to restore you, I'm going to bring strength to you. And if you know anything about the history of Israel, ever since they've become a nation, they've been attacked by their enemies. It's in the news all the time. And they're attacked, but God says they're not going to uproot you. They will not uproot you. They will not be uprooted. As sure as God has planted them back in the, the land, when you come against Israel, guess what? You're coming against God. You're coming against God, and God will keep his people planted. So he's going to restore the strength to them. Restoration of value. Look what it says is beauty in verse 6. His shoot shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive, the beauty of the olive is the oil itself. In fact, oil in that day, the olive oil in that day was equivalent to our petroleum today. That's the value-wise. It was that significant, and it was that value. And God says, I'm going to restore value to you. This may be a desolate land. It may be a wasteland. I'm bringing you back in the land. I'm going to plant you back in the land, and you're going to be a value. And i got to just encourage you to do this. Look up Israel and see what they've done in the medical industry, in the technology industry. Even the Iron Dome, people think that the United States are the ones that invented the Iron Dome that protects them from missiles, but it wasn't. It was two Israeli companies, and they have been so significant in developing weaponry, and they're going to be valuable again, he says. They're going to be valuable. Ever since they've become a nation, they've continued to show the value to the world, especially in the areas of medical and technology. There's also going to be a restoration of life, and this is what I love. He says his fragrance 
shall be like Lebanon. There's a fragrance. It speaks of life. Fragrance in the New Testament even speaks of fragrance of life, that believers are a fragrance of life to other people who are being saved. And what it's talking about is he's going to bring them back to life. They're not just going back into the land. They're going to come back to life. In Zechariah chapter 8, verses 4 to 5, speaking of the future, the prophet says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age, and the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Now, when Cameron and I was there learning Hebrew, we were there for 30 days on a Hebrew intensive, and we went to the old city one day, the old Jewish quarter where the Jews live in the old city. And I said, son, I quoted him that scripture. I said, look, look at the old men sitting on the benches. Look at the kids playing in the streets. This is a fulfillment coming to pass of Zechariah chapter 8, because God said it was going to happen. Even, you know, there's people who were scholars and they trusted God's word. I'm talking before 1948. They said, I don't know how it's going to happen, but God's word says it's going to happen, so it must happen. These were people writing in the 1800s that saw Israel was not a nation for many, many years. Their language had ceased pretty much, the pure Hebrew, and all of this stuff. There was no possibility for Israel to ever be reborn again except God. And those people that wrote in the 1800s, they would read the scriptures and they would say, man, I don't know how this is going to happen, but if God's word says it, I'm going to believe it. I'm going to believe it. Man, Israel is one of the greatest miracles in modern history to prove that God exists. People want to talk about molecules and DNA and all of this and get scientific and biological. And you know what I do? Look at Israel. They're a bigger miracle than anything in this world. They shouldn't be here today, but they are. Not only are they surviving, they're thriving. All right, restoration of life, a restoration of protection. It says, they shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. And as you know, if you're in somebody's shadow, you're close to them. You can figure that one out after church. Go out in the courtyard and stand, let your shadow. If anyone's in your shadow, they're close to you. And when it speaks of being in, under his shadow, it is speaking of under his protection. And really, Psalm 91 clarifies this a little bit in verses 1 to 2. It says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Restoration of productivity. Look what he says next. He says, they shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. I don't know if you know this, but Israel is a major exporter in the Middle East. They export precious stones, agriculture, fertilizer, flowers, medical supplies, technology, agricultural machinery, and much, much more. You can read a list of all that they export today. Why? Because God says he's going to make them productive again. Think about this, man. Even Israel had to be wondering, how is all this stuff going to happen they were named the eighth largest arms exporter in the world. And you have to know this. This nation 
only has 8,900,000 people there. Do you know that they are 18 times, Israel is 18 times smaller than California? 18 times smaller than California. No joke. And yet they're a major exporter. 8,900,000 people. That's like L.A. County, you know, and getting out into the county. And here's a whole country, and they become a major player. Restoration of prominence. He says their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Israel's a tiny country, like I said, but ever since they've been birthed in 1948, they've been in the headlines more than any other country in the world. Jerusalem is the city that continually makes headlines. Israel continually makes the newspapers. Why? Their fame is spreading throughout the world. You know what I love? When we go to Israel and we sit on the southern steps of the temple, the original step, Jesus walked up and down that, and we sit there, we do a teaching there, and one thing you see in Israel is that there's these people from all over the world. They have headsets on. Why? Because they need translator. You've got Chinese. You've got Russians. You've got Germans. You've got Africans. You've got Haitians. You've got people from all over the world that come to Israel. Why? Because God's going to restore their fame. And listen to this, Isaiah chapter 2, speaking in the last days, which is coming to fulfillment now. Everything you see is a shadow of what God's going to complete. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 2, it says, The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And you see it. If you go to Israel with it, you'll sit on those southern steps where the mountain he's talking about, you'll sit right there and you'll see all these buses pulling up. And people getting out from every country imaginable. Restoration of provision. <laughs> Verse 8. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. From me comes your fruit. I'll close with this. The country of Israel today is there today because God keeps his promises. And what I want you to do is if you took this chapter, notice how it closes. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know. That if you want another P word, we got path, we've got promise, we got picture. This is postscript, okay? <laughs> Just thought of it. Whoever is discerning, let him know then. Let him know them for the ways of the Lord are right and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. There's only two paths in this life. Two. Unsaved, saved. The righteous, the unrighteous. Those who continue to live in their sin, those who grab the wisdom of the Lord and live in the wisdom of God. There's two paths. There's not three. There's two. Jesus says the narrow path leads to life. Broad is the road that leads to strife. There is no middle path. God's restoration of Israel in this final chapter is so true of our lives.
God's love came down and restored us. When you look at all he did, he's given us his favor, his blessings. He's restored beauty. He restores strength. He restores value. He restores life. He restores protection. He restores productivity. He restores prominence. He restores provision. God does all of this because he loves us freely. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.